When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. May be seated. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. God, I pray that somehow through the foolishness of preaching, especially this foolishness of this preacher, I pray, God, that your Spirit can move, that our lives can be transformed, and that something today that I say can, can ultimately be used to bring forth your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for today, God. We thank you for the change in the seasons and the weather and for every single person who made it out here. Bless them, God. Through Christ our Lord, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. I want to talk to you real briefly on the subject of lose it all. Lose it all. And I want to begin by telling you a story. We have been in Tulsa. By the way, it's good to see everybody, and thank you guys for praying. We have been in Tulsa this past week, spending some time with our bishops, formational time with them and other folks in the CEC. And on our way back, we stopped at a rest stop to use the restroom, and we did that quite frequently. And uh, it was a nice little break. But on this particular rest stop, we noticed a woman who was sitting there. And I saw something that I've never seen before. She was sitting on a bench inside. And I've seen homeless people before, but I've never seen them at a, a rest stop. It's not usually where you see this. She was sitting by herself on a single bench, as soon as you walk through the front doors of this rest stop, and she was by herself just there, kind of isolated. And we sat down, and we talked to her. And this is what she told us, and it was actually on her sign. She said, I lost everything in a house fire. It was all burned. I did not have insurance. I lost it all, and now I'm living in a, in a car. And as we began to talk to her, we introduced ourselves and we asked her to tell us her story. We found out that her living situation was not ideal and and that she had gone through a lot. And the house fire was just kind of consuming it all. And naturally, she was unable to juggle her job after this. She lost everything, including her ability to handle her job. She had no place to turn. She had lost everything. In fact, we didn't know this, but we actually parked by her car. And on the way back to the van, we looked in and we saw that she had her whole household belongings. What she could salvage was in her car. And she had no place to lay her head. And I asked her, I said, how are people treating you? 
And her eyes began to well up with tears. And this is what she said to me. She said, a few are kind, many are mean. Then she asked me through watery eyes, she asked me a question. And she said, why do they have to make those mean comments? Why do they have to say hateful things? Why be mean? And then she said, why not just ignore me and just walk on by? Why do you have to stop and say something mean? Why the derogatory, get a job, you bum? Why do they have to say that? I told her, I I sat there for a minute and then I said this to her. I told her that her crisis is making them examine their own comfortable apathy. It's a reminder to them that they have been desensitized to human suffering. So then they try to rationalize their lack of compassion and they they refuse to examine their own greed their own lack of empathy. And in their minds, there's no way they could be that heartless, so therefore, you must be lazy. It can't be them. It has to be you. And to affirm their own insecurity, they they send an insult your way. Get a job. After she pushed back some tears, she looked at me, and with a strength in her eyes, she said, well, I just got a job. And I haven't got a check yet, but it's on its way. And I'm only here because the check hasn't come yet, but as soon as I get that check, I'm out of here. She had an inward strength to her face. And she went through her her lamenting and her sorrow, but then after that, she, she caught a wind in her soul, and her face lit up. Her name was Natalie, by the way, and I told her we'd pray for her. Is that all right? God, we pray for Natalie. We're going to continue to pray for her. Her face lit up, she offered me a smile, and then we got back in the van. And as we left to get back on the highway, we drove onto the the ramp there to get back. And in that moment, I heard God. Now, I never really hear God's voice, but I sense God's voice. And this is what he said to me. He said, it's okay. I'm going to be with her. I will stay with her. Even though you can't, I'm going to stay with her. And then I heard the words of Jesus from our text today. Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But she, just like I, has set her face. That idea of setting your face comes from Isaiah, where it talks about the suffering servant. And we're told of the suffering servant that he sets his face like flint. Flint is a substance that when it faces adversity and opposition... When people strike flint, flint doesn't catch on fire, but whatever strikes it does. And Jesus is setting his face like flint, heading towards Jerusalem. And I heard his words. I'm going to stay with her. She has set her face like flint. She's willing to go through this process, even though she's lost it all. You want to know what's worse than losing it all? Losing it all and not doing anything about it. At least this woman was willing to go face a mean public and sit there every day through the the ridicule that people throw in her direction and to ask for help for the sake of her and her children. I have a respect for Natalie. And her testimony kind of echoes the story or this text. And this is a clear call. Okay, so what are we dealing with in this text today? Jesus is telling people who want to follow him. I mean, it's incredible to me 
Because if it was any pastor trying to build or grow a community, or especially like if you're trying to gain a lot of numbers, you would think that anybody who comes in your direction and says, I want to follow Jesus, you would think the answer would be, great, sign on up, we're so glad you do. But in this text and in the text from last week, we find Jesus denying people the ability to follow him. And here's his warning, unless you're willing to lose it all, unless you are willing to have a sort of divine grit This isn't for you. These are the clear words of Jesus to every disciple. Every person who faces the decision of following Jesus hears this message from him. You ready? This is what he's saying to us. You cannot sugarcoat discipleship. You cannot look at discipleship as a life of luxury. I'm going to break from my notes here for a second. I saw a YouTube clip this week of a famous pastor actually from where we were, uh, near where we were, I believe. And this famous pastor is known for a health and wealth prosperity gospel message. And Inside Edition actually cornered him and said, how do you justify your two jets? How do you just, you live in a mansion that none of your parishioners could afford. How do you justify? And he had the most awkward reaction. And of course, what he did was he framed the gospel as a track to wealth, as a path to wealth, as a path to jets. And the lavish, luxurious lifestyle. And then he said, Jesus wants us to be rich. And I had a hard time processing that YouTube clip because I said to myself, that's not the Jesus that tells us he has no place to lay his head, let alone a jet. This is the call of discipleship. The great adventure is going to require you to have some holy grit, some holy resolve. You can expect these two things. Opposition... And adversity, if you do it right. (laughs) And maybe you're like me, and you like nesty situations. I love nests. I can't help it. I love nests. I like comfort. I like familiarity. Perhaps you're like me, and I'm not too proud to tell this to you. I find it hard to get a a good night's rest when I'm on the road. I, I struggle to sleep in a bed that is not my own. In fact, I will confess to you, I am a 38-year-old, almost 40-year-old male who will not hit the road without his pillow squeezed into his suitcase. Our children walked into the hotel with their pillows, and their daddy did too. (laughs) Because I really struggle with nest syndrome. I, I like a place to lay my head, but that is not the life of discipleship. That whole no place to lay your head bit is troublesome to me, I struggle with that because it feels too foreign to lay my head in another place. Hear me. That metaphor is exactly what Jesus is calling you to. He's calling you to a life that is all about transition. If you're looking to be settled in this Christian walk, if you're looking for the week or the month or the year to come where you feel like, I got a home, I have my place, I know where I'm at, I feel settled, I feel established, just wait. I promise you the Holy Spirit loves you enough to shake you out of that comfort very quickly. So many of us, we come from religious cultures that seek comfort. And here we are on the third Saturday after Pentecost, three Saturdays after the Spirit has fallen. But what do we do with this? Three Sundays after Pentecost, Saturdays after Pentecost. What do we do with this? I came from a comfortable place in Pentecostalism, classical Pentecostalism, where we frequently sought spiritual highs. 
frequently. And we struggled with leaving that spiritual high and stepping into what I call the now what. The now what was very awkward. We loved the spiritual high. We struggled with the ordinary, everyday life. I remember as a teenager, we would go to church camp, same camp where I saw the guy going, Allah, Allah. We would go to church camp, and we would have these spiritual highs, and everybody would be challenged and changed, and there would be tears and snot and shouting and running. It was amazing. It was wonderful. It was so high. And then cue the trombone. We would have to come home to the everyday to the ordinary, to quote, <laughs> to quote the classic 1990s dance track, back to life, back to reality. It was hard. It's like a come down. We, like Peter, James, and John, we wanted to camp out on the spiritual mountaintop as if God wasn't in, through, and around ordinary life. I want to read you a quote about ordinary time. Chittister said, Outside all the major feast days and fast days, outside the two great seasons and cycles of the faith, almost two-thirds of every year is spent simply learning the fine art of living the Christian life. The liturgical year simply calls it ordinary time. But the truth is that there is nothing ordinary, if by ordinary we mean inferior or less important. There's nothing ordinary about a period such as this at all. This is the extraordinary period of coming to see the world through the eyes of Jesus to determine how we ourselves will act from now on. It's a period, she says, of catechesis in the faith, discipleship, of immersion in the scriptures for discipleship. It's the time when the implications of Christmas, Easter, the resurrection, and Pentecost become clear to us. And then she says this, this is decision time. This is the time for us to look at Easter, to look at Christmas, to look at Advent, to look at Pentecost, to look at Trinity Saturday and Sunday, to look at all of these feast days and say, now what? And here's the problem. I have become, had become, a spiritual high junkie, a revival junkie. I wanted that spiritual high all the time, but the Spirit does not come to us just to chase spiritual highs. The Spirit comes to us to form us into becoming the church, the body of Christ on earth. That's why the Spirit moves. And how does that happen? Discipleship. Formation. And what's the key to discipleship? you got to be willing to lose it all. You have to be willing to lose it all. Count the costs. In our text today, someone tries to make that decision. Jesus says, nope, <laughs> not unless you're willing to follow me into these tough places. This individual says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Hear this. Jesus looks at that person and says, foxes have holes. What does that mean? Now, here's my interpretation. Oh, really? You're willing to follow me? Well, I want to tell you something. Foxes. Who did Jesus call a fox? Herod. We don't have the luxuries that collusion with empire brings. And then he says, birds have nests. The bird was the eagle of Rome. And he says, birds have nests. They live a life of comfort. They play the game of power, of imperial strength in numbers that affords them the security and luxury simply by exploiting and practicing violence towards people. And we don't have that. Let me leave my script. 
Woe to the church that tries to have that. Woe to Christians who try to have that. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's decision time. This is not the life of luxury. There are no privileges from empire here, no benefits from the establishment, no institutional kickbacks, no corporate perks. We're not headed to a plush resort. No sandals, Jamaica. We're not headed towards expediency or luxury or agreeability or popularity. We're not going to be trending on the internet. We're headed towards a cross. All of us. So what do we do? We set our face like flint. We set our face like flint, expecting execution, persecution, crucifixion, and rejection. Not because we are political insurrectionists, but because our love is radical. Now here Galatians that you read. Because our love is radical, our joy is confusing, our peace is unending, our patience is dumbfounding, our kindness is irrational, our generosity is illogical. Our faithfulness is impractical, our gentleness is unconditional, and our self-control originates from God who is eternal. And Paul says there's no law against these things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus share in his crucifixion. This is a cross we're carrying. But here's the deal. We have died to our old self. You have died to who you used to be. And I'm not talking about when you were saved in 1995, 1980. 1918, some of you. <laughs> 1980. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that you died to who you were yesterday. <laughs> that the person you were last year, you're not this year. And even though we keep circling around these stories every year, you never come back the same person that you were. So you might tell the story over and over again of the old rugged cross. But you're a new Brandy. You're a new Larry. You're a new Diana, you're a new John Luke, you're a new Maudie. Because God is always remaking you. That's what conversion is. But we've died to the old self. Now here's the problem. If you die to the old self, you're going to have heat with people who like the old you. (laughs) And this is always the uncomfortableness, right? This is why we have to set our face like flint. This is why we expect Samaria. This is why we expect Jerusalem to persecute us. Because... Who they want us to be, we are not. Now, what do you do if I knew you in 1999, but you're not that person anymore? What do I do do if I knew you in 2018, but JP, to be honest with you, the person you were in 2018, you're not anymore. This makes me uncomfortable. There's something different. So there's going to be a whole lot of folks who find you irritating. You had a nest. They shared that nest with you. But because they still live in your old zip code, they find you quite irritating, quite agitating. You moved out. You left the nest, no matter how dysfunctional it may have been. But this irritates those who stay in it. Your change makes them question one thing. Why haven't I? If if they've changed, why haven't I changed? Why haven't I changed? Your shift makes them wonder why they haven't experienced a shift. So now, you're uncomfortable to be around. I'm making my way out. I feel like so many of us have been here and continue to wonder, when will I feel settled? If I could just turn this corner, if this circumstance could change, if fill in the blank, then I'll feel at home. But here's the great truth of Christianity. 
Our home is not within a circumstance. Our home is not within an institution. Our home is not within an organization. Our home is in God. And Jesus is constantly making room for us in God. So whenever you have a Dorothy moment and you click your heels together and you find yourself saying, there's no place like home, right? And you want that, you desire that. I want you to remember the words of Jesus. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But also hear the words of Jesus, and this is the good news. John 14, those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them. Hear this. And we will come to them and make our home within them. Home isn't a circumstance or a condition. Home is the presence of God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Home is not about where we are. It's about who we are with. And Jesus is constantly with us, making room for us in God. So take heart. To those who feel unsettled, those who feel like you're, you're still on the road, let me just give you this last piece. You're going to be on the road for a while. And it's, it's the journey that you need to really embrace, not the destination. Because within the journey, if Christ is with you, the destination is already there. All right? So celebrate. You're in good hands. You're in good company. And hear the words of the Lord. He's with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Travel well, my friends. Always be becoming. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. You can find out more about us at our website, thesacredcommons.com. If you feel connected to this ministry in any way, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your partnership. It helps us continue to do this work in the city of Youngstown where we are happy to be launching a new church plant. Finally, why don't you come and join us for a service? 323 Wick Avenue at the beautiful St. John's Episcopal Church. We meet in the chapel. Come and worship with us. We'd love to see you there. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.